Hello, Beverly Hills Bettys and hallucinated penguins and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hull. Our guest today is a director, writer, and comedian whose queer high school love triangle rom-com Crush, which is wonderful, debuted last year on Hulu. Their new feature is a terrific adaptation of the hit YA novel You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, produced by Adam Sandler's Happy Madison Productions and featuring Mr. Sandler and much of his family in the cast. My Bat Mitzvah determines the rest of my life. If I have a kick-ass party, doors would open... I just think Dua Lipa would make the party perfect. You can have a ball pit. That's for kids. I've had my period for seven months now. That's a long period, sweetheart. Debuts on Netflix this Friday, August 25th. Friends and neighbors, join us in welcoming the very talented Sammy Cohen. Hi, Sammy. Hi, Jason, Michael. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Congrats on the movie, which we, we've both watched and is totally delightful. Tell us a little, just, I mean, at risk of asking the obvious question, tell us about how this project came your way, how you got involved in this one. Really, it's uh, the Sandler, the Sandler magic of it all. (laughs) I was coming off of directing uh, Crush. Sandler was looking for a young Jewish director who could relate to this coming of age story, the kids, the, you know, Jewishness of it all, and how it needed to be told through a modern lens. And yeah, he reached out to me. We started talking about the movie. It was immediately appealing to me for multiple reasons. I, and we kind of like just fell into it. And it was, it was, it seems crazy to say, but it was kind of as simple as that. It's really striking to me to see a young filmmaker like yourself with your own very specific voice and style making a Happy Madison picture, which, you know, we'll discuss later. They've been doing this for going on three decades now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be a really well-oiled machine. It's also a machine that typically makes films that are from a pretty consistently cis male perspective. So tell us a little bit about bringing your POV into that world. I think it's kind of a testament to Sandler and what he knew he, you know, what he was looking for and what he felt like this story needed. Right. It was part of what was really appealing to me as well. I was coming, like I said, off of telling this very... um, you know, this queer rom-com, a coming-of-age movie set in high school. I mean, coming-of-age movies in general, it's very, like, they've always kind of appealed to me. Um, I'm really interested in the genre and in sort of the adolescent point of view perspective. And I think, like, it it was very surprising in the right way that, yeah, Happy Madison was going, like, we want to tell this very you know, this like young female driven narrative about, um, yeah, a Jewish girl navigating middle school, the hellhole that is middle school. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's, you know, it's not something that I've seen. I think it was like something fresh, something different. Um, and if you look at the last few films that Adam has championed, like he is really trying to step into, I think, a new space and explore kind of different points of view than we've typically seen and really kind of, yeah, showing us different slices of, of today's world. And I was excited to sort of like bring, I grew up, you know, socialized female, and I really understood what it felt like to be a girl in middle school and how insanely mm. traumatic that can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and then I think too, I was able to kind of like round out the world in other ways. Um, but again, I kind of just have to give a lot of the credit to Sandler because he, he wanted someone else's voice like mine, to um, to balance his like he was able to bring a lot to this movie. I'm not a dad. I don't know like you know that <laughs> not yet at least. But right. I think yeah, there there's really like a beautiful friendship that formed because we learned a lot from each other, and the the film really benefits from it. Yeah, I, I can tell you um, as a middle aged dad, it it also speaks <laughs> to to that that perspective quite clearly. And as I mentioned in the intro, you know, and I, we should talk about this a little more. Sandler is in the movie playing again a middle-aged dad his real daughters Sonny and Sadie are playing his daughters Mm -hmm. so I I guess the the obvious question how close is this performance like to the real Sandman like how much of a glimpse are we getting of of him uh at home it's I mean I think what's really uh special about the movie is um it sort of mirrors real life what's funny is right before we made the movie uh we I'd been talking to Adam we had been kind of getting ready uh, to embark on this journey, but 
Sunny had her real bat mitzvah. And so I went to the bat mitzvah, went to temple with them, really got to like, you know, they made the Sandlers in general are some of the, the more most like warm, gracious, loving human beings I've ever met. So they sort of like adopted me into the family prior to making this movie. And so I got to really know them as, you know, people and as a family unit. And some of that really, I think, informs like how authentic the film itself feels. You know, like Adam, there's little pieces of all of them in these characters. They're definitely different in their own ways, but there are like one thing that comes to mind, there's a scene when Danny is driving Stacy and he fake spills coffee on her. It's one of my favorite moments on set, one of my favorite moments in the movie. That was a real, like we just found that on the day we were having fun. It was a real thing that he did in the moment. And it just like, I think it feels that way on screen, but like, that's just Adam being Adam. But what's so beautiful is like that just like, again, it works so well for the character, this father that feels like, you know, his daughter's so far away, he doesn't know what to do. So he just does what he knows best and, and makes her laugh to sort of bring her out of it. So you get these little glimpses of like, oh, that's Adam, the dad. And he's sort of a family man. It goes even beyond his family. Like the entire crew, cast, everyone on that stepped onto that set, he makes you feel like a part of the family. And it really just breeds this like, like it, it makes its way into the fabric of what the film is. Um, it's cool. I've never experienced anything like it. My wife is Jewish from New Jersey and we have two daughters and they're a little too young for this right now. But this is going to be my house's favorite movie. <laughs> oh, that's great. The other sort of fun bit of casting that we should mention is that um, their mom is played by um, Idina Menzel, mm -hmm. who everyone knows played, you know, Sandler's wife and mother to his children in Uncut Gems, um, a portrait of a much less happy marriage. <laughs> um, or actually, Mike, how did how did you put it in the text to me earlier today? This Your movie is the Hayes Code ending to, to Uncut Gems. <laughs> like when when one day he just decides like all right you know what i'm not going into the city tonight i'm gonna stay that's home so yeah funny i that's amazing and now i want like i've been saying that it's like the happy marriage the prelude to yes. that gym. like that's <laughs> yes. a joke but that's so funny that's yeah there's so much music in this movie and it's i mean it's all over the place it's really like there hasn't been a great when was the last time there was a really great soundtrack movie mm -hmm. like it's i feel like that's not something that we really talk about very often uh anymore but just had to sort of generally compliment the use of music in the film i just say thank you for calling out the uh the music well it's, it's a segue into a lot of the films that i called out from 95 like music is so important to me um and Ad and sailor's a huge you know music guru as well and musician like myself and so i think with coming of age with movies in general especially with like i don't know we like when as a teenager like every song is like you know your life and it feels so, so important <laughs> right. and so raw um so yeah music was definitely like a big part of the bat mitzvah scene and color yeah. that world but then also just like I think it's it's something that we don't give enough attention to, but it really becomes a character in the movie. And yeah, a lot of the movies I, I chose to talk about today have that in common. <laughs> All right. So tell us real quick, then what uh, what year did you decide to, to, to select for us? And why did you settle on that year? Uh, I chose 1995. I'm okay. a 90s kid through and through. I think a lot of what has um, informed my filmmaking and kind of the way I see the world comes from these, yeah, these nineties movies that I've just rewatched over and over. I think 95 was also a, to me, a pretty important year for female directors behind the camera. Mm. A lot of really impactful mm -hmm. films um, happened to be directed by women. And that was not something I knew as a kid. I just later went, that's an interesting through line. Yeah. And I think it's, it's pretty, um, pretty special um, and paved the way for someone like me to, to do what I do. Well, yeah. I mean, when I was, Watching your films sort of in conjunction with watching the films that you selected, it, it was really wonderful. Anytime we have a filmmaker on where you can really see the influence of the films they've selected on their own work. So we will address some of those issues uh, specifically as each film comes up. Before we get into that top five, though, Mike is going to walk us through what was going on in the world around us in 95. Here's headlines. Headlines. <laughs> 
1995. America Online. Yep. Enormous clothes. Mm-hmm. Enormous clothes. Nothing fit. Yep. Nobody wore clothes nope. that fit. Nope. Uh, there was a lot of good acid around in 1995. I believe you. I was 19. This is a, <laughs> this is a memory I have. Uh, in January, Valery uh, Polyakov completed 366 days aboard the Mir space station, the longest anyone had lived off the Earth at that point. He would go home in March after 438 days in space. I'm willing to bet he took a really long shower, like a long, <laughs> hot shower that day. Yeah, and, uh, and, and hopefully an unencumbered bathroom break where he could... <laughs> Not you could lock a door. Also in March, yep. the Om Shinri Kyo killed fourteen people and injured over a thousand when they released sarin gas in the Tokyo subway system. Eesh. So not chill. No, don't care for that. Yeah, no. And then after that, there were like a thousand reports about like what would happen if somebody did that in New York. It was <laughs> ridiculous, yeah. terrible. Also yeah. in March, singer Selena was murdered by her fan club president. So you know, never trust anybody. No kidding. Right? If there's one person. If it seemed like war yesterday, the reinforcements showed up tonight. At the center of it all, of course, is the bombed out shell of the federal office building. And in its shadow, the exhausted, who for a day and a half now have sifted through its debris and counted its dead and seen up close why they call it terror. In April was the Oklahoma City bombing uh, when a bunch of shitty right wing terrorists killed 168 people and injured 680. These bags of shit killed 19 kids because they were mad at Janet Reno. I mean, just the worst types of fucking people. Yep. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. No, there are actually worse types. Okay. In June, former Waffen-SS Hopsturmführer Eric Priebke was extradited from Argentina to Italy, where he would stay until he died. And then the Diocese of Rome said he couldn't have a funeral at any Catholic church in the city. The Argentinian government banned his body from coming into the country at all, and his old hometown in Germany refused to take it. So he was buried in an unknown location at a military base somewhere in Italy. I like to believe it's at the bottom of a latrine. Bye, Bye. Eric Kripka. Bye. From the beginning of this administration, any improvement in relationships between America and Vietnam has depended upon making progress on the issue of Americans who were missing in action or held as prisoners of war. Last year, I lifted the trade embargo on Vietnam in response to their cooperation and to enhance our efforts to secure the remains of lost Americans and to determine the fate of those whose remains have not been found. It has worked. In July, President Clinton announced the restoration of relations between the U.S. and Vietnam. That seems like a good thing. Yeah. In August, NATO began bombing uh, Bosnian Serb army units, and that is a very, very big story from 1995 nope. that we're not even going to attempt to get into. Nope. Um, lots of ways to learn about that, and uh, it's mostly reading. In September, eBay was founded. The PlayStation came out for the first time, and the hey. Bomber Manifesto was printed. It's a weird, weird people. All right, Mr. Car- Mr. Simpson, would you please stand and face the jury? This is Robertson. Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles. In the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA097211. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant Orenthal James Simpson not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony upon Nicole Brown Simpson, a human being, as charged in count one of the information. Uh, In October, O.J. Simpson was found not guilty, and a bunch of white people were like, oh, the justice system is rigged. (laughs) Now, in fairness to them, though, he was guilty as fuck. He fucking totally did it. Yeah, I mean, there's that. Yeah, okay. All right. There's also that. That's true. It was just like the people who were complaining about it were like, you don't. You're not actually... You're not mad about the justice system. Yeah, okay, anyway, we move on. Later in October was the Million Man March in D.C. And then one year later, Spike Lee's Get on the Bus... That's about right. the Million Man March in D.C. Good movie. That's right. A good way to learn about that. In November, yep. Yitzhak Rabin was murdered at a peace rally in Tel Aviv. He was shot by a right-wing terrorist because he signed the Oslo Accords. Hey. And uh, this is another story that uh, we're not going to get yeah. into because it's much yep. too deep. Also in November was the release mm-hmm. of the very first feature-length computer animated film. Does anybody know what that was? Toy Story. Yes, it was. It was a good one, too, right? I mean, you know, at least it was a good one and not like something nobody had ever heard of. Uh, Okay, we're going to end on some good news. In in December, the FDA approved 
Sequinavir, a drug to treat HIV AIDS. Over the next two years, deaths from AIDS in the U.S. fell from 50,000 to 18,000. At this point, the United States government is the single largest donor to HIV prevention and treatment efforts in the world. And the sort of the, the puzzle pieces that they figured out around Sequinavir are, is still, generally speaking, the way it's treated today. So Yay shout for out to uh, all of our neighbors who are living with HIV. We're glad yeah. you're with us. Take yep. your fucking meds so you can stay yep. here, right? Yep. Uh, yep. A bunch of people were born in 95, but the only ones I've heard of are Joey Badass and Megan The Stallion. So let's do death. <laughs> Bob Ross, okay. uh, Dean Martin, Jerry Garcia, Mickey Mantle, Ginger mm-hmm. Rogers, like 1962 all died in, in right. 95. Eva Gabor, Butterfly McQueen, Jonas Salk, Orville Redenbacher, Howard Cosell, Donald Pleasance, wrestler Big John Studd. Okay. You probably don't remember Big John. And Wolfman I, I, Jack. Roxy Roker, a.k.a. Helen from the Jeffersons, Ida Lupino, Lana Turner died in 95. That's going to be the dream blunt rotation right there. Wolfman Jack, Roxy Roker, Ida Lupino, and Lana Turner. Yeah, good one. Kinsara Wiwa, trumpeter Don Cherry, Junior Walker, Vivian Blaine, Rosalind Cash, professional rich lady Rose Kennedy, (laughs) and finally Easy Motherfucking E died prematurely in 1995. R.I.P. Um before he uh, reached his his days of enlightenment, uh, mm-hmm. but gone too soon. Yep. And Michael Jordan in sports. Michael Jordan came back to the game he was best at after finding out he was not Bo Jackson. I think the best thing about him playing baseball now is that the only reason anyone remembers it is because of Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thunder Gulch won the Derby and the Belmont Stakes, but not the Preakness. The Houston Rockets swept the Orlando Magic to win the NBA title. You remember Penny Hardaway? Nope, really but I remember deal. I remember those commercials with Chris Rock. That's what I remember. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's how big of a deal he was. Yes, and finally, indeed. there was a World Cup in Congratulations, Mike. Congratulations. Right. We haven't had a World Very Cup good. for a while. The, the Norway women defeated Germany 2-0, to zero, and it was a hell of a fine World Cup. That's sports, and that's headlines. Thank you, Mike. All right, Sammy, you ready to do a top five? All right, let's do it. Okay, so we talked before the show. We're going to do a random top five. There is no ranking here. Uh, There is no particular order. There is, in fact, uh, a random method of madness here. We're going to go from from sunny to dark and back again. Uh, So we can start pretty much anywhere. Sammy, what is the first movie on your 1995 top five? Um, Let's go Clueless. Paramount Pictures presents... Nice stems. Thanks. Alicia Silverstone. He does dress better than I do. What would I bring to the relationship? Clueless. Are you okay? Uh, I'm fine. Rated PG-13. Starts Wednesday, July 19th. Hell yes. Let's go for it. (laughs) This, when I talk about seeing the influence of a film you've picked on your work, this is front of mind. Um, Tell us why you love Clueless so much and and how you have incorporated it into, uh, into your own work. Well, after hearing those headlines, what a time, what a, what a year, a feel good movie, you know? Right. (laughs) Just to feel good about something. Um, I think, I don't know. I love this movie and it's obviously been so influential uh, throughout like pop culture. It still is to this day. I think it's this perfect blend of aspirational and relatable. Uh, Oh yeah. And it, it, I, yeah, I think like even to this day, it's so rarely done. And and I try to achieve a similar thing, um, like in bat mitzvah, for instance. Also, the soundtrack is gold. I think, yes, yes, the, yes. the soundtrack did officially gold, gold, right? Or, yes, or yes. It's yeah. incredible. See, there used to be there used to be younger listeners, these thing called CDs, and they would put the soundtrack on a CD and sell it in a store, and then people would want to have that after the movie came out. Also, I was one of the people that had seen the Mighty Mighty Boston's in concert like 30 times by the time that movie came out, and so oh. was like, oh, now they sold out, they're going to be in this movie. And then the song <laughs> came out, and it was like, all right, that song's pretty good. And then the whole soundtrack was good, and you had to sort of eat your, you know, your little plaid-covered right. crow. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I think it's also, I mean, I kind of said this, it was, uh, I think what was cool is like it, I don't know if it was the first to do this, but it molded that Jane Austen narrative structure and like those themes into something really modern and fresh, which was like the perfect recipe for a teenager's obsession, I guess. But um, 
Uh, but and like I was a pretty dark kid. You'll see with the other films I clung to as <laughs> a child. But I think, you know, specifically this film, um, it follows this like incessantly optimistic human being and a female protagonist fueled by like relentless unending reserves mm-hmm. of optimism was just fun to watch. And like, yeah, it's a feel good comedy. It holds up. You see it influenced, you know, everywhere. Iggy Azalea, Ariana Grande videos, fashion, music. Like, it's really become such a testament to, um, I think, like, Amy Heckerling, too, and what she was able to do at the time. Uh, she's a bad, she is a badass. She really is. And one that I don't think gets the credit for it, because, like, it's, yeah. it's not just that... I mean, it's a big deal if you make one sort of like generation defining, you know, teen movie. But like she had already done that. Like she did Fast Times in 82. And then 13 years later, she still as as an older person is making this film that is so in tune with how young people act, think, talk, walk, look like. I want to know how she stayed so plugged into youth culture. And like, this feels like a movie that could have been made by a 20 year old filmmaker. A thousand percent. Yeah. I think what's nuts is she had such a hard time making clue. Like she had a track of course of being, of course, because yeah, it, I mean, like I said, she paved the way for people like me and really did the heavy lifting, but like she, yeah. Fast times. Um, look who's talking, which I also loved as a kid. Huge, her, her huge, patient. Like she, she was just yeah. like banger after banger. Um, but yeah, really, I think she was like she again, just like I don't know what it is. Uh, and I hope to like sustain in the way she has as I get older. I think it's important to not forget how being a kid feels and sounds and right and and you know. And I think she too, she was very plugged into like the MTV culture and this like uh, Gen X and Y audience in a way that that allowed her to be so successful. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember no. though. Like for the twentieth anniversary, if you had ever written anything on the internet, you made a think piece about Clueless. Like of every publication, every, and I don't remember it having that sort of of resonance when it first came out. Like in terms of you know, I mean, I know a lot of people liked it, but it didn't mm-hmm. seem like everybody felt like they needed to have an original intellectual take on it, right? And uh, and I when did that sort of I'm. Well, how did that I, happen? I guess because t- it, it holds up, which is also how you. many movies can actually sustain fifty articles, <laughs> right? Right. Well, here's the thing: there was another piece of physical media that used to come out after a movie, and it was called a VHS tape. And you oh, go to right. this video store and you would rent it. And yeah, Clueless was was a box office success when it came out. It was a commercial success, but it was one of these movies that was a huge, multi times over success on home video that you know people would go to the video store they would take this out for sleepovers it became a huge hit on hbo and it became i think really and you know sammy you can attest to this as well kind of part of a certain generation's dna um so that it it just became this sort of beloved and all those people were writers by the time the 20th anniversary. yep or writers, several of them enough of them or, <laughs> or or music video directors or filmmakers or any number of things but yeah it's you know the 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 reach continued uh well past that that theatrical engagement um and like i say sammy i could certainly see it uh in in bat mitzvah i can also really see it in crush just in terms of the way that this movie understands the ecosystem of high school Mm -hmm. um was was very striking to me in crush as well that that sort of connection is intact yeah i think it's like i think it's one of the movies i still love it and i i do even if it's subconscious i think it's just a part of like i love how you say it's a part of the dna um it, it really i think what's cool too this this character of Cher, she's a kid, but she's, you know, taking care of her dad. And she's kind of like, she's taking life seriously, even though she is like, again, relentlessly right. optimistic. And there's a little bit of this aspirational um, angle to it. She's still so relatable and likable. And um, yeah. And like, you know, is parenting her parent, which we all do in a weird way. And, and I think too, like in Crush, you see that with Paige and, um, differently in, in bat mitzvah, but uh, yeah, someone who again like is of the time, but stands the test of time. It's a hard combo. Amy Heckerling. It is. Yeah. Bravo. 
Bravo. All right. Moving on, Sammy. What is the next random movie in your top five of 95? Oh, boy. Um, Okay. Let's just take a weird turn and go seven. Let's go. (laughs) Seven. Let's go. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. These murders are sermons to us. This will be the very definition of swift justice. Have you ever seen anything like this? No. These two murders away from completing his masterpiece. Gentlemen! Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman. This isn't gonna have a happy ending. Seven. Oh man. That is a double feature right there. That is that is the Barbie and Oppenheimer of the summer of uh of 95. What uh what do you love so much about 7? Um I am a huge lifelong David Fincher fan. Um mm-hmm. I I am I was like uh, I love a feel good movie. I also like I'm a big true crime fan even as a kid weirdly like really loved this kind of like mm-hmm. dark unpredictable unpredictable nature of um uh humanity and uh and yeah i think i just love fincher's movies in general i like solving a puzzle and i liked i think this is one of like the earlier movies i saw where um like i want to be fucked with a little bit by the direct if that makes Mm -hmm. sense like he just loves totally like it's like to me watching a fincher film is like trying to put together a puzzle you do not have the pieces to yet and when you finish right. putting it together, you go, oh, he didn't even give me all of them. Now I just have to fill these <laughs> my brain. And there's something that I love yeah. about um, like playing a guessing game. And uh, and I love to rewatch his movies because, you know, like that opening scene is all of John Doe's. Like there's just fun Easter eggs. There's fun sort of like I'm going to give you all the clues you need. Um, but you're yeah. going to be able to figure it out. And like that game. I like the idea of you with a, a David Fincher box, like turning it over and being like, what? <laughs> like um, there's not, I don't have all the pieces. <laughs> it's frustrating in the best way. Um, and like seven in particular, I think like I'm a big fan of panic, like really all of his movies, but I think it has one of the best twists of all time oh, yeah. still to this day. And like it blew mm-hmm. watching it the first time it blew my mind blew my mind i couldn't stop thinking about it and even though i know what's in the box now i still have that same feeling every time i know what happens i still don't believe it and i still like am so profoundly affected and that's like a testament to the movie i don't know if there's a harder emotion to sort of conjure up for an audience as a director than dread um, and this is just like a two hour dread fest. And he does, he's not doing it in ham handed, obvious ways. There's just, it's just bleak and it's scary and something like anything could happen at any moment. Um, as evidenced by the scene where, um, uh, <laughs> oh God, where Sloth sits up um yeah in the bed oh my god like i saw this movie opening weekend and i have the most vivid memory of an entire audience jumping when that moment occurred like it was terrifying um the only other thing i wanted to mention is i really do think that this this is the movie that does not get discussed enough when we're talking about how great Morgan Freeman is. Like it's so easy to talk, you know, Shawshank came out the year before Mm -hmm. or to go into, you know, his later mold of, you know, the, the godlike wise men, but just like, he's so good as the cop who has seen it all. And that's such a cliche of a role. If you don't give it something genuine. And I just, I believe, I think it's, it's, it's such a, 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 a modest, uh, lived in performance. I I love watching him work in this movie. Yeah, I think he's, I mean, he's the heart of the movie. He's the tentpole that everyone yeah. hangs off of. And he's, uh, yeah, I agree. It's like one of my favorite performances by him in particular as well. We covered a, a movie called Canal in one of our earlier episodes. And the end in Canal is about the, the Polish uprising trying to fight the Nazis, which like didn't go very well. And when we get to the end of the movie, like I was trying to, figure out how to describe the movie. And the only way I could describe it is this movie has a what's in the box level, bad news ending. (laughs) Like I couldn't out of all of the movies I've ever seen, I couldn't think of one with more of a bad news, hard ending 
yeah. than seven. You know, it was the only yeah. thing that I could relate it to. And yeah. I'm still not sure it was harder than seven. Yeah. Yeah. And those, those, but, but more than that, even those close that close that tiny last bit of VO that Morgan Freeman has, where he says, uh, you know, he quotes the line about how it's a good world and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. Like yeah. <laughs> I think about that line in in America, circa you know twenty sixteen forward. I've thought about that line a lot. Um, Sammy, what is the number three movie on your non ranked random list of the best movies of ninety five? Um, okay, let's go. Uh, we'll, t- we'll take a, a an uplifting turn to Apollo thirteen. Apollo 13 flight controllers, give me a go, no, go for launch. Booster, go. Retro, go. Network, go. Recovery, go. We are go for launch. Apollo 13, a million things could have gone wrong. Our next broadcast will be from the surface of the moon. One dead. Houston, we have a problem. The Odyssey is dying. Failure is not an option. We're just going to figure out how to stay alive. Tom Hanks, Apollo 13, rated PG. Starts Friday, June 30th at theaters everywhere. Outstanding. Outstanding. Ron Howard's true life tale of uh, the three astronauts that were miraculously saved from death in space. Uh, What do you like so much about this movie? Um, I like that it makes me happy cry at the end of the movie. Uh, like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, look, Tom Hanks, if I listed my top 10 favorite films of all time, he would probably be in five of the 10. At least. <laughs> um, he is, uh, right. yeah, he is um, funny enough why I became a director. But um, uh, from his movie, That Thing You Do, I was mm. obsessed and he's he's uh, incredible. Oh, but, uh, wow. He, yeah, he's one of my favorites. And I think, yeah, I love this movie because I think it it just makes you feel, I don't know, like watching it as a kid, like I think it's, it makes you feel like anything's possible. It made me happy cry, which like yeah. I, as a kid, I didn't know how to tap into my emotions. And I went, oh, a movie can make me do this. And it it's a wow. kind of an interesting thing to have like a physical sensation and such like a heightened state of emotion um, watching a movie like, again, I was really young when I saw it, but, uh, but yeah, it made me go like, oh man, I want to do that for people. I want, I want to make people feel feelings. Um, and it's a, a silly, like cliche thing, but that's kind of what that does. Ron Howard is like, I mean, he's really good at that. He's <laughs> so, yeah, it, his movies are sincere and inspirational and, you know, I rewatched this fairly recently and I made it all the way through without crying like you know when you when you're re-watching a movie that always makes you cry you're like oh i'm gonna make it this oh i'm you know uh i made it all the way until ed harris collapsed into the chair and like that man taking that moment for himself and rubbing his eyes and feeling that that relief mm-hmm. and then sort of gathering himself back up and standing back up to cheer it like it gets me every single time sammy it destroys me Every single time. Yep. I, that's when I lose it as well. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm not a, a monster. I'm feeling things the rest of the movie. Sure. Then that sure. whole scene, I think it's like, as soon as you see the, the parachute go on their monitor yes. and then you cut to, I think too, this is also like, this obviously like has made its way into like the couple movies I've, I've done, but, um, but this one event affecting everyone in their own kind of isolated little world moment oh, yeah. is, is something that like, um, yeah, I think like, it's just as a filmmaker goes like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of value in like resonating with, with each of these people and how they're all kind of feeling the same thing in their own individual ways. But yeah, that, that whole five minutes, I'm a mess. Yeah, same. Big old same. (laughs) Big old same. All right. So, Sammy, then what is the number four movie of your 95 top five? Uh, Let's do Now and Then. I know you're in there. Why don't we just play Grandma in? What did you say? Girls can't play softball. Critics call it the best coming-of-age movie since Stand By Me. (laughs) Jeffrey Lyons says it will touch you like no other movie this year. Now and then, we'll steal your heart. Are you happy? Not really. Maybe you should integrate color into your wardrobe. (laughs) Now and then, rated PG-13. Starts Friday at a theater near you. From Leslie Linka Gladder. Now, uh, now, did you... 
I gotta know, how old were you when you saw this movie? How close were you to the age of the girls in this movie? Because I I would imagine it hits very hard at that age. They, yeah, I think I watched, I don't think I watched it the in 95. I watched it, it was pretty close though. And I was about the same mm-hmm. age as, I think I was about the same age as the kids. Um, yeah. Which immediately is like what resonated with me. This soundtrack is amazing. Oh, amazing soundtrack. I have it on yeah. vinyl. I listen to it a lot still. It's so good. Um, They've got it on vinyl. That yeah, is right. that is serious soundtrack love. Oh, Congratulations. They, yeah. Oh, they, they definitely do. Um, yeah, I think like, look, Leslie too is a film. She's now the, the president of the DGA and I've kind of right. really looked up to her. She, again, paved the way. This was her, I think this was her first feature, if I remember right. Um, and she's just a legend. She's a great filmmaker. And I think I loved this. I love this movie. Like, I remember that scene where, like, Christina Ricci is, like, binding her boobs. And she's like, I hate, mm-hmm. up. you know, I hate growing up. And I was like, I feel that way, too. And, you know, I think, like, it's sure. about friendship. It's about being a teenage girl on the cusp of adulthood. And, like, obviously, that's a theme I explore in Bat Mitzvah. Um, yep. What I also really love, though, is these girls become obsessed with how this little boy died. And it's fun mm-hmm. to watch kids be kids, but mm-hmm. to also ask like the big, heavy questions. And I remember going like, because look, seven, like I was a dark kid and like, yeah, it's going to say. And I was also like obsessed with this other thing. So it's a small detail in the movie, but it did resonate with me. Cause I'm like, Oh, little girls obsessed with death. Like that's something I do too. Like it just, again, it was like right. a mirror for me. Um, and that was like weirdly a cool detail. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that I think is really interesting about this movie, this is one of the, I hadn't seen this one before. I, I watched this one for the first time for the show. And I remember this was, this movie was deceptively marketed. Like they really tried to make it look in the original trailers. Mm -hmm. Like it was about half and half the, the, the young women and their, their older counterparts. And then you go into it like, no, this is like kind of a league of their own thing where there's like bookends, but it's mostly with them. And honestly, I was so glad for that, for the balance that it had the balance that it had because all four of them are so great together. I totally believe that they've been best friends for years. Um, the relationships are so credible and strong. Mm-hmm. Um, in the scenes with their older counterparts, I feel like they all met about five minutes before they got to set. But the 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 four younger women are all so good, and it's amazing that like how many of them ended up having like really. Uh, really incredible careers yeah it's it's funny i think i mean the trailer because i do i i remember the trailer um yeah pre- and i think like that's the studio system doing what it does oh totally like, here's a total color and melanie griffith and you know like that's obviously just a uh yeah like a, a hook but um i think what the other movie that comes to mind when i think about now and then is um uh, stand by me with the oh totally with the four boys i think like yeah. now and then too like you mentioned this they feel like real friends and totally. that was this is so influential i think in making bat mitzvah like i spent a lot of time with my cast of kids just hanging out and hanging out like forming what felt like real friendships and they ultimately had those going into the shoot which i think no there's just you can tell yeah they, like they really love each other. the last day of set they were bawling their eyes out because it was like summer camp and everyone's got to go home but um yeah <laughs> it now and then just feels like again very like real and um yeah that just it makes a difference but uh i agree the balance yeah. is is best served with the kids <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that brings us to the uh, to the top of the heap, the uh, the cream of the crop, the I guess the non ranked, but uh, but an especially significant 1995 film. What is the last movie on your top five list? Sammy Cohn. Billy Madison. Billy Madison is going back to school (laughs) to learn about the finer things in life. That's nice. Good literature. It's Snooty Magazine Day. Good food. Lady, you're scaring us. And beautiful women. Want to touch the honey? Adam Sandler is the smartest man alive. Billy Madison. Here I come. 
Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, February 10th. The theaters... Yes. I know. (laughs) Sandman to the extreme. His first big starring vehicle. Uh, But right from the beginning, hiring uh, female directors, which is pretty, pretty interesting. It was, that's a funny, yeah, yeah. Tamara Davis, um, who was, yeah, uh, was like the perfect fit. She replaced, like, I think they had a director and last minute they had to replace the director and she came Mm. in and just, you know, crushed it in the best way. But, uh, I think, yeah, it was funny. Like I said, like, again, another just like female filmmaker who really like made one of my, as a kid, made one of my Mm -hmm. favorite comedies. I watched this tape over and over and over um and it was my introduction credit where due credit where due she also directed cb4 which is pretty fucking funny as well like, <laughs> it's a good filmography from tamra davis yeah she's great i mean she's great i got to meet her recently for the first time um oh wow such a yeah i mean i don't know i yeah i'm like i i basically was just like thank you <laughs> Uh, yeah, she's incredible. But uh, and and this was my first introduction, I think, to even Sandler because I was pretty young when I saw the movie. Um, sure. And it was fun. Like I think I felt like I was watching this adult who I totally related to as a kid somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. like and you know now like as I get older, I'm like, oh yeah, it's, this is what Sandler does best. It's like silly, goofy, but it it's got like a real earnestness to it. Um, yep. and I like that it goes to those like weird, dark places. Again, I was, Oh, totally. Yeah, the clown falling and bleeding out. Like that's funny. And like, why not? I don't know. As a kid, I just, the dodgeball game, like you gotta, you gotta <laughs> shoot, you gotta shoot and cut and play that just right. Or it ends your movie yep. and they cut and they cut and played it just right. It's perfect. He's really hitting those kids with the ball. <laughs> he sure is. He sure is Sammy. He really sure is. I don't know if we could do that today, but um, <laughs> it was pretty. Yeah. Jason and I talked about, as we were talking about this and talking about your list, and, and we realized that every woman that he is seriously, and I was 19 and 95, right? You were 20. Mm-hmm. So every woman yeah. that he has seriously dated uh, has been a huge fan of Clueless. And every woman that I have seriously dated has been a huge fan of Billy Madison. And the extent to which <laughs> this anecdote can explain our lives our is entire- absurd. Thing. This tiny little anecdote is absurd. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's- Sammy, I did also want to say one thing that I love in Bat Mitzvah is how much DJ Shmuley sounds like, like Billy Madison era Sandler. Um, and so it's so funny that like the running gag is that Sandler doesn't understand this guy's appeal that like that, that older movie's like, why is this guy funny? Why does anybody care about this guy? I love that. I loved that so much. Truly never thought about that. And what that's, uh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> that's amazing. I just, I can't tell you how happy I am for you that after being a little kid and loving Billy Madison, you got to make a movie with with billy madison with with sandler and tim hurley and the whole crew it's that's that's like that's inspiring it really truly is it's it was yeah i think it like i didn't even uh i think it's finally sunk in it was cool too we shot the movie in toronto they shot billy madison Mm -hmm. in toronto um oh nice we our production designer perry blake uh, his first movie was billy madison and he came back for bat mitzvah um wow a lot of really cool like it's fun that 95 came up and it was kind of a, a happy accident, but um, yeah. And I think the one, the one other thing too, I'm thinking about with that movie is um, the Veronica Vaughn of it all. I think like it's a testament to like Sandler and then Tamara. Um, I think what I loved is like, she's gorgeous, but she's smart. She can throw a punch. Like, and I think yeah. that was, they, they didn't like over-sexualize her. I think the movie holds up. And I think like, again, mm-hmm. those choices that they made, um, you know, like teachers don't wear short skirts. I think Tamara even said like, so we changed her wardrobe and she's like a real person. And that also yeah. pretty impactful to me. And I think, um, yeah, obviously like resonates and and has continued to, it holds up. Not many movies, it, do, it holds up. <laughs> Not many movies do, not many comedies do. Also, when this movie came out, it was like, all right, like this is a Saturday Night Live guy. You know, like very few of them can make a movie that's like funny for more than 20 minutes, right? Like a lot of those, a lot of the Saturday Night Live movies were were falling flat. And at that point, 
like what they were people were still sort of referencing like blues brothers and shit right and and this movie came out and like and he really sort of of saved the the Saturday night live like t- guy going like because this was before Will Farrell went and, and became right. a movie star, you know, so on and so forth, right? And I just I don't think a lot of people at the time would have thought like, oh yeah, no, they're going to be talking about this movie in decades, and he's still going to be making great movies, and this is going to be the one that holds up. I don't think it was obvious at the time, but it's really really obvious now. Yeah, it's true. I think they also they weren't really. I think they kind of like weren't paying attention and didn't really think much about the movie because they weren't they were like we don't know it's not it wasn't the big budget i think though that kind of helped them succeed because they weren't being monitored by the studio from what i remember um so they got Mm -hmm. like adam got to do what adam does and it it really he just i don't know he he knows what's funny and other than like i mean i feel like him and chris farley right wasn't it was like that and tommy boy like they yeah great top five oh my god all right, thank you for that top-notch top five. Uh, we don't have a sponsor this week, so we're going to do awards and box office with Mike. Oh, no, we've got one. What? We do? Oh, yeah. Wait, wait who, who's our sponsor? This episode of A Very Good Year is brought to you by the A Very Good Year After Show. The uh, Very Good Year, what's up? Yeah, yeah, man. Subscribe to the Very Good Year Apple Podcast Premium tier. You not only get a commercial-free version of the show, you also get the weekly after show, where Jason and I talk about more of the movies of the week, we rip through another lightning round, and sometimes, often really, we get a little personal. I, I do not know what the fuck you're talking about right now. Oh, I've been recording our after show conversations and releasing them as bonus episodes. Did I not tell you that? No, you didn't. <laughs> Smart, right? <laughs> uh, I was going to say gross and invasive. <laughs> Whatever. We got to make some money off this thing somehow. Get a premium subscription for only five bucks a month on Apple Podcasts. Call my fucking lawyer. All right, let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money in 1995. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me, oh yeah. Sell out with me tonight. The record company's only giving me lots of money. Best picture, best director to... Do we even say his name on this show anymore? I'm not even sure we say his name anymore. The guy that made Braveheart. Yeah, Braveheart. A movie that to this day I've never seen. Just, Just haven't gotten around to it. It's fine if you don't know anything about movies or history or or the guy that directed it. There you go. There's some good scenes. But sure. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. best actor, Nicolas Cage leaving Las Vegas. There's a fucking performance for you. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Cage, Cage kind of talked. There was, I was really struck when I was putting all this together. A lot of very dark movies in 95, like Dead Man or uh, Leaving Las Vegas is about a dude going to Las Vegas to drink himself to death. But, uh, but it's a hell of a performance. It really is. Good movie. Best actress to Susan Sarandon. Oh, this one was a light comedy. Dead Man Walking. <laughs> Why were people yeah. so sad? Like everybody, remember everybody was buying like uh, Nirvana records and right. Yep, like what? Well, yep, everybody yep. was so sad in the nineties. Yep yep, yep. yep. Good. Good performance anyway. Best supporting actor yep. to Kevin Spacey. Best original screenplay to Christopher McQuarrie. 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 For the Usual McCor- Suspects. <clears throat> Sammy, thoughts on The Usual Suspects? Um, well, again, one of the best, uh, like, a puzzle movie. Um, yeah. Best twists, I think. Uh, like, I mean, I mentioned Seven, but, yeah, one of the be- best examples of, like, misdirection in a movie. Went back, yeah. rewatched it. Um, some problematic people involved, but we'll gloss over that. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of problematic people involved, Mike, uh, who won for Best Supporting Actress? <laughs> Mira Servino got it for Mighty Aphrodite. A lot going on. You know what? You know 95. what? She's great in Mighty Aphrodite. That is an inspired comic performance, in in my humble opinion. Emma Thompson got Best Adapted Screenplay. Wait, Emma Thompson did the Best Adapted yes. Screenplay of Sense yes. and Sensibility. Yes, yes. I uh, look is a at big me deal. learning shit on my own this show. Is a big deal when it happened. Yes, yeah, she did the adaptation of the screenplay and then starred in the movie and won a damn Oscar as a writer like three, four years after she won one as an actor. Um, this is another one that I only saw recently and and like 
I'm sorry, at risk of stating an obvious, but Sense and Sensibility is really good. The Ang Lee 95 Sense and Sensibility is great. Sammy, do you like this one? Yeah, it's great. I'm also just realizing, like, I didn't realize this was 95. Like, what a great year for female filmmakers. Yeah. Behind the camera. Yeah, it's a great, 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 beautiful movie. Yep, yep, yeah. A big year for Jane Austen adaptations um, in the the past and the present. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Other significant award winners, uh, the SAG Award for Best Supporting Actor to Ed Harris and the DGA Award for Best Director to Ron Howard and the PGA Award for Best Picture all went to Apollo 13. Your beloved Apollo well 13 deserved. picked up some picked up some statues and honestly, I uh, uh, wish it would have won Best Picture too in light of uh, what did. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> Golden Globe for Best Picture Comedy Musical went to Babe. Sammy, do you like right Babe? It did. You're damn right it did. I mean, I yeah, I did. <laughs> Yeah. I like yeah. it. It's it was a fun. It was great. Golden Globe for Best Actor Comedy Musical went to Get Shorty. Oh, yeah. Travolta for Get Shorty. Hell yes. Uh, I really like Get Shorty. I think it's a lot of fun. Yep. I love a satire. I also love the movie. It was like, yeah, the, the film business is like being in the mafia. And it's- <laughs> <laughs> Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama went to Sharon Stone for Casino. Again, you're damn right it did. Yeah. That's a hell of a performance. God, I love that movie. That... Yeah, that almost a few. There's a few other movies that almost made my top five, but that movie I was kind of obsessed with. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if she's ever scared me. Well, he always scares me a little bit, but. <laughs> All right, Sammy, settle, settle a controversy for Mike and I, which listeners will get into in greater depth on the after show. <laughs> Sammy, Goodfellas or Casino? Which is which is the better motion picture? Goodfellas. Ha! <laughs> Victory! I am justified. Buy a hair. Buy a hair. Oh, sure. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Golden Globe for Best Actress Comedy Musical went to Nicole Kidman in To Die For. Beast of a performance. God, she's great in that. And Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor went to Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys. He had a hell of a year, that guy. Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. Sammy, do you like 12 Monkeys? That's a, yeah. I mean, uh, that feels weirdly, uh, yeah, Terry Gilliam, um, that feels weirdly applicable now. Mm. <laughs> I remember mm-hmm. watching it and, and it feeling so, I was kind of like blown away, I think, the first time I watched it because it was just so different and like so, yeah. felt like invented, like inventive, but um mm-hmm. But a, but a movie about going back to like a time before virus wars, before society <laughs> yep. collapsed, it feels maybe more yep. relevant now than ever. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, all right. How, all right. How I don't that think any of these like? movies made any money, though. This is just <laughs> uh-huh. a bunch of guys watching these movies in their basement. Let's uh-huh. talk about what America loved. Oh, okay. Number 10, Jumanji. Uh, Sammy, Jumanji, thoughts? Was, yeah, I mean, that was great. Did the... That was a de- yeah. That was the game, and then the movie yes. came out, right? Yes, um, I think that's right. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I loved that as a kid. Again, like imaginative, like world building. Yep. Great. Great. Number nine, Waterworld. Remember when Waterworld cost a hundred million dollars, and that was like a big deal. It was like insane that anybody spent that much money on a single movie. Hi, yeah, yeah. And then the story was that it didn't make any, but mm-hmm. I, it's on number nine. It did just so. fine. It did just fine. Yeah. Oh, I thought it did. I thought it flopped. Did it do well? It did fine. It was it, number nine on the top ten. I mean, yeah, you take yeah. that right any I mean, given year. Yeah, I mean, easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was not a huge money maker, but it was also not a huge flop. It just cost a whole lot of money to make. Number eight, Casper, with the uh, the aforementioned Christina Ricci, a mm-hmm. charmer. Number seven, nobody's ever gonna guess what the most appropriate movie would be to be number seven on the top 10 list. <laughs> Mike, was it seven? It was seven. Hey, All right. Hey. All right. That's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Number six, Batman Forever. You remember that fucking oh, I do. insane? I remember do. Jim Carrey being in a Batman movie? I do. It seemed do. like it would make sense. My forever memory of Batman Forever is just that when when Nicole Kidman came on David Letterman to promote it, he insisted on calling it Batman Fever through the whole episode. And forevermore, <laughs> that movie is Batman Fever to me. But I like Batman Fever. It's a, it's a decent little uh, superhero picture. Number five, Pocahontas. Turns out that's not factually accurate either. <laughs> no, but you know, Sammy, do you, do, did you enjoy Pocahontas? Did you paint with all the colors of the wind? 
Um, I enjoy, like I grew up and watched and loved all the Disney movies. I think now mm-hmm. I reflect back on that movie differently. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, as a kid, I didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course not. There you go. Of course not. Yep. Uh, number four, Goldeneye. Hmm. Fine. A fine Bond movie. Number three, Apollo 13. Uh, Bowling our eyes out. Ed Harris doing the thing. Yeah. Three guys in a can. Number two, Toy Story. I do like Toy Story. <sighs> one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest movies ever made. Per, a kind of perfect storytelling. And Tom Hanks, again. Again. A hero. I'm pretty sure because they both came out the same weekend that I did see that like back to back with Casino. Like that is really your yin and yang of <laughs> of cinema is to see Casino and Toy Story on a double feature. Mike, what was the number one highest grossing movie of 1995? Die Hard with a Vengeance. Number one. Yeah. Yeah. What? Number one. You know what? It was Bruce and Bruce and Sam back together uh, uh, the year after Pulp Fiction. Um, I've never I've never loved Die Hard with a Vengeance solely because it is not as tight and claustrophobic as the first two, which is the thing I love about those two movies. But as its own thing, as just like a running around New York trying to not set off bombs, Bruce and Sam buddy movie, pretty good. Pretty good. Sammy, thoughts on uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance? I think as far as like a, yeah, I think like it lived up to, I don't know, it's hard to make a sequel. It's hard to make a a trilogy. I think it, you said it much better, but yeah, I think it was a fun ride. Not the best, Mm -hmm. but a fun ride. There we go. All right. Well, there is our top 10. Sammy, you ready to do a lightning round? Oh boy. Yeah, I'm scared. Let's do it. You're going to do great. You're going to do great. Um, Mike's going to put five minutes on the clock. Anything you want to say something about do, anything you don't, just pass. And we got a big, long list called from the John Willis Screen World Annual for 95. So here we go. Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise. Ooh, I love this movie. Uh, very, re- yeah, again, like very just real conversation. Hadn't seen anything like it. Um uh still rewatch yeah what kind of one of my favorites and i think my introduction to link ladder probably so that scans um the the lovely the talented sandra bullock had a big year with two motion pictures while you were sleeping and the net oh my god i haven't seen either of them the same year we saw meg ryan uh doing the rom-com thing in french kiss I haven't seen that one either. The Brady Bunch movie was released in 1995. Well, that's an easy yes. That was just a fun. <laughs> yeah. I grew up uh, watching the Brady Bunch. So the movie was, it's not the most memorable, but it was fun. It was. I think that's actually a rare. This. I think the sequel is more fun than the original. I think a very Brady sequel is a little more subversive and, and a lot of fun as well. Um, Tommy Boy was released in 1995. This one we love. Uh, buddy comedy about real buddies. Farley and Spade. Love it. Um, and uh, the reason I say uh, holy shnikes to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Lori Petty and Tank Girl was released in 95. I don't know Tank Girl. Ooh, it's worth seeking out. Okay. Uh, Parker Posey in Party Girl. I'm failing you guys. You're doing great. Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls was released in 1995. Oh, there we go. Well, Showgirls, uh, it's so bad it's good. Um, You know, I guess makes me think of The Room. Um, But yeah, Showgirls (laughs) has a weird cult following. I feel like we need a movie about the making of Showgirls now. (laughs) I would be the first one in line to buy that ticket. The original Bad Boys was released in 1995. Oh, yeah. What you going to do? What you can do, I think, yeah, um, I I thank Michael Bay for that very infamous shot where we we circle the guys. Um, I've, I've <laughs> it. we've all used it, um, and I think this was his first feature, right? I think. Yes, it was. Yes, um, it was. I think this might be my favorite uh, movie of his, if I'm being honest. I, um, yeah. And and I think like I love music videos, and I love some of his, and this was a movie I saw like 
influenced by music video directing. And I totally that too. Totally. Uh, Friday came out in 1995. Oh, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, that's just a fun love that. Yeah. I don't know. That's just a fun one. Chu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar. Well, I'm a um, huge uh, drag queen fan um, mm-hmm. of drag culture. And yeah, as a member of the Rainbow, Rainbow Mafia, which is <laughs> my, my version of the LGBTQIA community. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, this one's a staple. I think like if the movie were made today, maybe the casting is different. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, um, like if it was made today, we'd have like a Trixie Mattel, Bob the Drag Queen, Bianca Del Rio combo, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But, but like, yeah, Swayze, Snipes, and then what was it, John uh, Leguizamo? Leguizamo, yeah. Yeah, I think this movie also like weirdly made me feel, it was like scene, it was an early scene that kind of like, you know, helped me feel like there was more to the world and I was okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful. Kevin Smith's Mall Rats was released in 95. This one I didn't see till way later. Um, and like I saw this in college in film school. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of love it. They show Mulrats in film school? We I took some weird class. I took <laughs> from like New Zealand cinema to Godot. Like they, yeah, we got some weird fun classes. That's beautiful. We This was a big year for Denzel Washington, who starred in three motion pictures, Crimson Tide, Virtuosity, and Devil in a Blue Dress. Virtuosity, I haven't seen, but mm-hmm. how does some how would it, I don't even know how he did that all in one year. Right. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what a le- I mean, yeah. I I don't know about the third, but what uh, what a legend. Dangerous Minds was released in the summer of '95. Michelle Pfeiffer as the as the school teacher teaching the kids that if you like rap, you like Shakespeare. Uh, Hugh Grant in nine months. Oh, this is a yeah, this is Hugh Grant, at, you know, at his finest doing what he Oh, does. my God. That is one thing that we left out of headlines, Mike, was this was the summer of the Hugh Grant arrest. Um, and finally, Pacino, De Niro, Michael Mann's Heat. Uh, this almost, yeah, this almost made uh, my top five as well. My, I think my introduction to Michael Mann, um, I stole a little, so I stole a little directing trick. Like he, there's the scene between Pacino and, and Hank Azaria mm-hmm. like screaming at him and he goes, Cause she got a great ass and you got your head all the way up it. He improvised that line. Mm-hmm. And Hank Azaria's reaction is real. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was like, I don't know where and when I, I learned that, but I go, that's a good trick. And so I put that in my toolbox. Nice. Nice. <laughs> well has- done. That was a very good lightning round, Sammy. You did great. You did fantastic. Uh, now we're going to throw it to our friend W. Axel Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. Sammy, once again, you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. I just like saying the title because I like really hitting the so. Um, You are so not invited to my bat mitzvah is on Netflix this Friday. Anything else you'd like to plug? Any social media where people can find you? Anything you want to wrap up with? Um... You can find, I mean, social media at Sammy Cohen. We'll be talking a lot about the movie as it comes out. But uh, yeah, I just thank you guys for having me on. Excited for the world to see our movie. All right. I am Fun City Cinema on Instagram. Jason Dash Bailey on Blue Sky and Letterboxd, where you can find under my lists the top fives for every episode of the show. Mike, where can people find you? I am at Brainwashed Lib on Twitter and at Fifth Column Films on Blue Sky. And of course, you can find us on Substack, a very good year.substack.com where paid subscribers get bonus episodes, including one where we will discuss Casino versus Goodfellas, uh, bonus writing, and much more. Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 1995? I mean, you know, man, I'm usually on here talking about documentaries and Mm -hmm. Japanese reinterpretations of vampire movies or some wild-ass shit, but like, I looked through every movie that came out in 1995, and none of them is better than Casino. I just have to be (laughs) honest about it and just say, like... You know, I mean, whichever one you like watching better or not, like 
I there is literally nothing in that movie that I should relate to or be interested in in any way whatsoever. I've never particularly liked Las Vegas. I am <laughs> You're not a definitely gambler. not in the mafia. <laughs> I mean, I you know, like there is I try not to even like get in like loud arguments with people, let alone pistol whip them over <laughs> hundreds of thousands. There's no reason right. I should like that movie. Right. But there's also I think it's just sort of <clears throat> You know, it's just so sprawling and sort of incredible. It just, to me, is a, a feat of... You know, there are very few, like, literally flawless movies. Like, Malcolm X is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that. it's just like every time I watch that movie, it's just like every single step, every mm-hmm. foot footstep in that entire film is perfect. You know, and, like, this just is just one of them. Yeah. You know, it's just like, and it's sort of, and, and being perfect is not just about sort of being technically correct, but about managing to like contain every single human experience in, in, in a lifetime in one film. Mm -hmm. And somehow he managed that with that fucking movie. dude. I mean, I just like, I, I've been trying very hard to come up with an answer that isn't the most, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, I probably talked about that movie more than anything else over the course of this podcast. I relate it to other movies, but yeah. here it is, man. It's Casino. Yeah. How about you? Uh, in 1995, a gentleman by the name of Noah Baumbach made his uh, feature debut with a little, little something called Kicking and Screaming. Um, and I know that he has grown as a filmmaker and as a writer. He is an accomplished filmmaker. I, I know he has made better films than kicking and screaming but he has not made a film that means as much to me as kicking and screaming did especially because with the lag with it took to see a movie that was that small that came out i didn't see this movie until our senior year of undergraduate uh and boy that movie is like a pail of cold water in the face when you're about to like go out and face the world to watch a movie that so eloquently describes the experience of being afraid to go out after you finish college and face the world it's smart it's fast it's funny uh it's extremely quotable i can't tell you how often i say random things for that movie oh i've been to prague i mean i haven't been to prague been to prague anyway i love kicking and screaming (laughs) it's frequently on netflix uh Bravo to them for that and for also funding his last several pictures. Thank you for that, Netflix. Uh, check it out if you haven't seen it because it's it's really terrific. Thank you again, Sammy. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. Heart sweet and clear. It was a very good year.